You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we've seen so far in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is intensely valuable. And of course, the kind of wisdom that we are studying here in Proverbs is wisdom that leads to great skill in life. In the first four chapters, there was much that was dedicated to declaring the value of wisdom. And today in Proverbs 5 and 6, we're going to see the value of wisdom in marriage and finances, in commitments, and more. And much of what Solomon is going to say about it in the realm of marriage has to do with faithfulness in marriage and the folly of adultery. Uh, So he says to his son, my son, verse 1, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So with words like attentive, incline, keep, and guard, we see the aggressive nature of applying these warnings. For the lips, verse 3, of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, it's interesting because Solomon here is confessing to his son that he understands that there is an attraction to the adulterous or forbidden relationship. There is something attractive to it. That's why he says that her lips drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. The sweetest substance in ancient Israel was honey, and oil was the smoothest substance. So uh, Solomon is saying, uh, this is going to be attractive to you. Your heart is going to be drawn towards this because, well, after all, the lips and her speech, the words that she says, there is something attractive about it. Now, it is interesting that Solomon is highlighting the words of the forbidden woman. And if he was writing to her, his daughters, he would say the forbidden man. And there's something about the words, something about the flattering speech of this woman as she speaks. The, her words are sweet and her words are smooth. And when a, a husband is not receiving this from his wife or a wife is not receiving this for her, from her husband and beginning to look elsewhere for words of of affection and affirmation and devotion and respect, when those words are sought elsewhere, then you have ingredients that often lead to marital unfaithfulness. And Solomon announces that the end of that path is a bitter life, bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So at first appearing sweet and smooth, but eventually bitter and cutting. Her feet, Solomon announces in verse 5, go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, yet she does not know it. You must, Solomon is saying to his son, consider where this path and all paths lead. This instantaneous pleasure will give way to massive consequences. It will take life right out of you. Many people want to live in the moment and see where their passions might 
overtake them and to follow their hearts. But Solomon says here that wisdom thinks of the lifelong ramifications of such living and thinks about the end consequences of my actions today. And the believer, of course, has the ultimate in motivations of considering the end of life because we make it our aim to be pleasing to Jesus at all times because we understand that we are going to give an account of our lives unto God. And we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. But Solomon says she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And so Proverbs is going to continually emphasize that looking ahead will be helpful to see where your decisions are actually leading you. But this woman is not knowing. She is not thinking. She has a lack of awareness. She cannot see what is happening. Now, at the end of this, Solomon says, here's what unfolds. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. The challenge that Solomon is giving to his sons is to set appropriate boundaries. In other words, if you're a married man, you're not to have these friendships with other women that are exclusive, private, separated from other people. Your friendships now change. You are a married man. Online, you are to have boundaries and guidelines and accountability. Who knows where you are and who knows how you're doing? When you travel, you set appropriate boundaries to uh, enable and to give yourself a good chance at integrity and success in maintaining your integrity when you're far from home. And he says, the reason to do this is lest you give, verse 9, your honor to others and your years to to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go down to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Uh, It's very obvious here that Solomon considers sexual sin to be a costly sin. Your honor is given away. This means your respect or maybe even your wealth is given away. You lose it with adultery. You lose that respect. Your years, in other words, your prime, your years of highest production are lost due to sexual sin. Your strength is given away. This might even uh, be talking about money. Uh, your actual finances, and of course, with uh, lust and sexual sin, uh, it is often so incredibly financially costly. Not just the paying for it to actually experience it, but also in the forms of child support and divorce proceedings and things that so often flow from a life of sexual sin. This is costly. This is expensive. Your labors, all you built and all you worked for, goes away to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan. Depression ultimately comes into a life that pursues this as its path. 
And you say, verse 12, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. In other words, ultimately, there is embarrassment publicly in the congregation as a result of that life of persistent sexual sin. Now, obviously, there are so many of us who have in our histories shame, things that we've needed Jesus to uh, shed his blood for and to cleanse us of. And if we are guilty in our past, what should our response be to scriptures like these? And, And much of the Proverbs is going to continue to devote its attention to this particular subject. Well, one option is to simply say, I'm hurt that the Bible keeps talking about it. Now, this is an inappropriate uh, attitude because in a sense, what we're saying is, uh, it's bringing up bad memories for me. I'd rather others not be warned about this folly. And so in one sense, it's a little bit of pride putting the self over others and saying it's not that bad. Uh, Another response might be to say, I feel such shame over it. Not just I'm hurt that it keeps talking about it, but I'm feeling shame. I just can't be released from this. I feel shame over the things that I've done. Now, on one hand, that could be pride as well, uh, feeling as if I shouldn't be ashamed over the things that I've done. Listen, there are certain things that we do that are shameful. Uh, But instead, we must say, I receive the forgiveness of Christ inside of my life. And then uh, another option, or perhaps a good one, is to say, I am thankful that this is a warning for others, for I myself fell prey, and it indeed hurt me badly. And I am thankful for the forgiveness of Christ, the cleansing of his blood, the washing and the regeneration that he takes and is continuing to take me through. And I am so glad that this is loudly proclaimed. Watch out for the forbidden relationship because I've experienced the pain of it. And so Solomon here is giving stern warnings to his sons. Now he continues in that same theme by giving an alternative to adultery in satisfying marital union. This is what he says in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. So like satisfying water, a cistern and well and springs and streams is what Solomon speaks of. So a man and a woman can satisfy one another sexually in marriage. And that sexual satisfaction is not polluted or dirty. It is clean. It is pure. It is refreshing. In other words, the message of the Bible isn't just abstain, abstain, abstain. It's enjoy in the proper context. And here Solomon tells his son, your bride, your marital relationship and union That is the place to give yourself away. Notice he announces, if you let your streams be like water in the streets, you are 
giving yourself away in a way that it cannot return to you. But if you drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, for yourself alone and not for strangers with you, then you are entering into a relationship with it where there is a high level of privacy and personal enjoyment that actually is building you up rather than destroying you slowly but surely. And so he's basically saying, enjoy your spouse. Let your fountain, verse 18, be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always within her love. And so here Solomon pictures sex in delightful terms. It's, of course, for reproduction, but it is for enjoyment. And the marriage wall is not designed to rob us of pleasure, Solomon is announcing, but actually marriage is designed to increase and protect the sexual union. Now, sin can muddy these waters, making sex something that is shameful or regretful. But the redemption found in Christ Jesus can lift a married couple back into sexual health. Now, this theme is repeated in the New Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 to 5, did propose the concept previously of living a single life for the glory and the honor of Christ. However, he said some people cannot handle that kind of life, and for temptation's sake, they really should be married. But in that place, he spoke of enjoying and embracing one another. Here's how he said it in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, according to the message translation. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. And so the concept there of a mutuality in the marriage bed, a desire within the marriage bed for the husband to please the wife and the wife to satisfy her husband. Solomon uses a beautiful word, be intoxicated always in her love. The adulterer watches a stream turn into a gutter, but the faithful husband watches water become wine. Just absolutely beautiful to be intoxicated with each other's love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Verse 20, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress, for a man's ways are before the the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So here are some higher motivations to sexual purity. God is watching, and... This is a costly uh, sin. And so we get the admonition from Paul to Titus and now to us. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self 
controlled. And this is a possibility uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are so many who believe that it's impossible in the culture and world that we live in to live a life of sexual integrity, but nothing could be further from the truth. By the power of Jesus, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, by the strength of God, a young man, a young woman, or a not-so-young man or a young woman can stand for the Lord and hold fast to their sexual integrity. And so Solomon here says, God is watching. God sees. God knows. So even if you're careful to conceal it, realize that the Lord is watching your life. Now in Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon takes a brief break from the subject of marital faithfulness or unfaithfulness and talks about a few other subjects with his sons. And first, he talks to them about uh, making rash pledges. He says, my son, if you have put, chapter 6, verse 1, up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go. Hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, in ancient Israel, lending was intended as a means to help and was not considered a money-making transaction like it is in our culture. They were actually not even allowed to charge interest to fellow Israelites, even though, for ex- for example, in Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, verse 1 to 11, it did happen from time to time in a sinful kind of way. So most people take what Solomon is saying here in verse 1 to 5, as a warning against being a co-signer for someone else's high-interest loan. Basically, what we're seeing is an unwise commitment that you should do everything you can to get out of. So often, we overcommit ourselves. And if I could just speak uh, frankly to the culture and the generation that I am living in, I think so many people live a life without any breathing room at all. They're absolutely filled up, packed out to the nth degree. And anything that happens, whether it's having a child or a sickness or an extra expense, anything that happens becomes an absolute emergency and catastrophe when a life is lived without breathing room. And so often, the lack of breathing room, well, frankly, so often, the lack of breathing room comes because of sin that's just in the world. You know, the corruption, the greed of man, making it so hard for people to just make it in life. And that often leads to a uh, marginless kind of existence because you just have to work so hard to make it in a fallen world. Sometimes, and very often at times, the lack of space within our lives is a direct result of the commitments that we have made, the things that we have said yes to. And so my encouragement is the encouragement of Solomon. Aggressively seek to hack away at things in your life to where you can get things back to a manageable commitment 
that you live not that overcommitted, frantic kind of life, that you might have time to enjoy, rest with Jesus, experience him and walk with him. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. It's possible for a believer to say no. And then in verse 6, Solomon goes on and he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so Solomon here, speaking to his son, and warns him against a sluggard's life, a lazy life. And he calls as evidence the ant, uh, who without a ruler or a chief or an officer, apparently, uh, just gets up and designs on working and storing and uh, saving and all of that. Watch the tireless effort of the ant, Solomon is saying. And so to young men, we would say, you have to work. You have to be diligent. Uh, Young women, you have to work. You have to be diligent. Life isn't all passion and entrepreneurialism and excitement. There's something fulfilling about simply doing your job and working hard. And when you're working, move. Don't just stand there, leave your phone in your car, look people in the aisle, smile, improve the things that you're working on. There is always something to do. And when people can capture this kind of work ethic, where they're not just acting busy, but they actually are busy and working intelligently and and helping the organization, when people capture this, they become valuable people who are continually uh, kept uh, in their place of employment. The ant works hard without oversight. The ant saves saves in times of plenty. And so we ought to be a people who are able to work hard even when no one is watching and are saving in those times of plenty. Solomon says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's a snowball effect, he says. Uh, you rest a little. You take those you know, plays off, so to speak. You uh, begin to just uh, stay away from the work that God has given to you. And eventually, you'll find poverty that comes. We must be a people who earn our times of rest. And that our times of rest would prepare us for the future times of work that God has for us. Now, in verse 12, he talks about a person who is causing conflict. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, he writes, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly in a moment. He will be broken beyond healing. Now, what we're probably seeing here with the winking eyes and the signaling with his feet and the pointing with his finger is not just somebody who's a little flashy or a little outgoing or something like that. Probably what Solomon is alluding to is some kind of sinister body language with little signals. They're trapping people and stealing from people and deceiving people. And they are actually, through all of this, 
with their perverted hearts sowing discord or strife, disagreement. They are causing conflict. And Solomon announces, in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things, Solomon writes, that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Solomon's main point here is that, well, God hates those who are sowing discord. Here's an example. Six things he hates, seven that are an abomination. And he lists all these things that are obvious. He hates a proud look or haughty eyes. He hates someone who cannot be trusted, a lying tongue. He hates someone who sheds the blood of those who do not deserve it, innocent blood. He hates the scheming, the devising of wicked plans, and those who are enthusiastic about sin, running to evil, and those who bear false witness or lie about others, breathing out lies. But finally, he says, he hates that and those who sow discord. They, they they destroy and disrupt the peaceful harmony amongst God's people. So this is a great warning to us about being a people who uh, create dissension and division in the house of God. Now, he goes on in verse 20 and gets back to the theme of warning against adultery by saying, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So again, he's encouraging and exhorting his son to keep his father's uh, commandment. They'll be like a lamp to you. They'll be like a light to you, which of course reminds us of the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119 verse 105 tells us. And so parental instruction ought to come from the word of God. And Solomon tells his son that if you do, if my word helps you and you adhere to it, they will preserve you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only, he says, a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts hunts down a precious life. And so Solomon says to his son, listen, I know that in those moments, there is going to be in your heart a battle. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And of course, it is the heart that must be dealt with. Jesus taught us that that lustful intent begins within the heart. It is the heart that we must invite the Spirit of God to come in and and uh, transform and deal with. And some of the ingredients that he's given to us are, of course, his word, uh, his spirit, Uh, the cross of Christ itself in performing its surgery upon us, but also honesty, accountability, and the beautiful gift of repentance and confession. He says, the price is like a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. 
In other words, immorality is costly. Can a man, verse 27, carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. And Solomon, of course, as the son of Bathsheba, had a front row seat to hearing the stories of what his father had done in even marrying his mother in the first place. He knew how that had negatively impacted generations. Now, God redeemed it, of course, and Solomon eventually came from that married relationship. And so Solomon's life flowed from that. God is a God of redemption, is the message there. But Solomon still says, still, it's not right. Still, it will burn you. It's like carrying fire to your chest or walking on hot coals. You will be burned. You will be scorched if you go into the forbidden woman. People, verse 30, do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. So people might sympathize with a thief, uh, but he's going to have to repay sevenfold if he's caught. But he who commits adultery lacks sense. And he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. In other words, the man that you've sinned against is not going to easily forgive. There are interpersonal consequences in adulterous relationships that are a disaster. And so Solomon is throwing everything he can at his son and saying, Hold fast to your integrity. Do not get into bed with the married woman uh, into an adulterous relationship, into fornication, into marriage or a relationship with a non-believer. Hold fast to your integrity. Marry a believing woman and enjoy her all the days of your life. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.